How have you throughout your career, you know, approached leveling up and upskilling as a developer? Has there been anything that has worked well for you? You know, when I started off as a software engineer, I always try to go deep into whatever I'm writing and try to understand what exactly is going on. I don't like to just copy paste the code from Stack Overflow and just put it and it works. So, and, but I don't know, you know, how it works. <laughs> so that's not how, you know, I do things. And it kind of helps me uh, if I try to understand the code which I'm writing. It helps me getting more control over it. If there is a change of requirement, like in the future, I can, you know, do the code changes because I understand my code. I have to understand each and every line. So, like, I believe when you are, when you're writing, you know, these programs, you have to clear your basics first. Hello and welcome to another episode of Devs Do Something. Today's guest is Sachin from Biconomy. This episode was dedicated to the details of account abstraction and new technologies that aim to improve the overall user experience in Web3. In particular, we went into great detail on ERC-4337 versus EIP-3074 and talked through what infrastructure is required to actually get ERC-4337 implemented. This was a cool conversation because Sachin and Biconomy are working very aggressively on this, and it was cool to get some some direct first-hand perspective. So we also dove into some of the second-order effects of ERC-4337 as well, such as how the user operation pool will work and whether or not this will open up other forms of front-running in addition to your traditional MEV. So if you're a dev that wants to be on the forefront of new developments in account abstraction, then this episode is for you. So let us know what you think, and I hope you enjoy. As devs, we all love hackathons. They're a great way to boost your skill set, meet other engineers, and add to your portfolio of work. At Superfluid, we've sponsored many hackathons and decided to start putting on a hackathon of our own, the Superfluid Wave Pool. This hackathon is a little bit different though in that it's continuous, it's always open. You can submit any project built on Superfluid at any point throughout the month and have a chance to earn thousands of dollars in prizes depending on how your project stacks up. In just the last couple of months, we've seen dozens of teams build really amazing projects that run the gamut from Superfluid developer tutorials to full-fledged applications uh, to a proof of concept Superfluid Starknet implementation that we thought was really, really impressive. So we encourage you to check it out today. You can learn more by going to superfluid.finance slash wavepool. That's superfluid.finance slash wavepool. Happy hacking. All right. We're here today with Sachin from Biconomy. Welcome. Yeah. Thanks, Sam. It's really great to be here. Uh, you know, uh, I have not seen like these dev-related pod- podcasts, you know, very much lately. And I'm so glad, glad like there is one now. Uh, like I've gone through, you know, some of the podcasts, uh, you know, after you, you know, send me the message and they are pretty, uh, you know, useful for a developer, you know, uh, who, who likes to like know 
you know, new stuff, what's happening, you know, in the space from a developer point of view. I think it's pretty interesting, you know, podcast we have done so far. I'm going to listen to more like over the weekend. Uh, but yeah, it's good to be here. Good to hear. That's the goal. And hopefully this one is useful as well. Uh, so the, the first question we ask everybody who comes on the show before we get into all the fun technical dev stuff is how they get into they got into crypto. So how did you get involved in this industry? Okay, uh, so, you know, it's been uh, like uh, over five years for me in this space. So it all started in uh, 2017, actually. Uh, you know, I was, uh, you know, working in a web2 company and, uh, you know, uh, my friend uh, reached out to me. Uh, like he was not like web3 friend, but he, uh, he wanted to do some sort of startup in Web2 space with me. Like I have actually tried two times before, you know, by economy. Like I tried doing startups before in Web2 space, both of them didn't work. <laughs> so I, I always had this, you know, uh, in me that I wanted to do something, you know, on, on my own. So this friend reached out to me uh, that let's do something in edtech, you know, industry. Uh, and uh, at the same time, uh, you know, I, I have heard about, you know, this uh, blockchain thing that, you know, uh, was, uh, you know, uh, people were talking about it. So, you know, Sandeep from uh, Polygon, uh, like he's a co-founder of Polygon. He actually told me, like, he, he was actually building Matic. He, he was starting to build Matic at that time. So he told me that, uh, you know, this is, uh, you know, pretty interesting technology. You should look into it. Uh, so that's why, you know, I started looking into blockchain. And, uh, you know, started with the Bitcoin white paper, uh, um, like everyone else does, right? So, uh, like, uh, Ethereum white paper, but, I, like, I was not, uh, you know, coming from a trading mindset, like, you know, that I'll buy Ethereum or Bitcoin. It, it was not like that. Like, uh, I haven't done trading the past as well. Uh, but mainly, you know, uh, the, the technology, like, got me interested into it after reading, you know, the Ethereum white paper, uh, like, there were some things, you know, that got me excited, like how do you remove, you know, the middleman and give the power, you know, to the users? How can a system run without a central entity, you know, running it? You know, how all of this is possible? Uh, so these things, you know, really got me excited. And uh, I started like reading more about how can I actually, you know, as a developer, uh, be a part of this, you know, blockchain, uh, you know, ecosystem. And then I figured out that you can actually build application on top of blockchains. And uh, that, you know, uh, lands me on Solidity language. So I you know, started learning Solidity, uh, tried, you know, building, uh, you know, a few applications on my own. Uh, and it took me, you know, uh, around six to seven months, uh, you know, to figure out that oh, this is something I have to do. You know, this is really exciting. And this is very like new technology, some, you know, paradigm shifting technology. Uh, it had a uh, lot of opportunities. Uh, it's very new space. So, you know, uh, why not, you know, try it out? And, you know, uh, I told my, you know, a friend who, uh, you know, asked, who was asking me to do a startup. Okay. You know, uh, I'm going in the Web3 space. Uh, you know, Web2 space is not for me now. Uh, and uh, like in earlier, you know, startups, which I told you about, I, the main reason, you, you know, it didn't work because I was like, pal, I was uh, in two boats at the same time. I was trying to do this, you know, on the side and doing my job. So by that time, like after two failed, you know, attempts in startups, I had realized that you cannot do two things at the same time. 
So in 2018, uh, that was a time like I had realized this is something, you know, where I want to go. I quit my job, uh, you know, in my earlier, you know, Web2 company and, uh, yeah, started doing freelancing, you know, in the space, uh, just to get my hands on, you know, to more projects to, uh, just to, you know, get to know how actual applications are being developed on blockchains. That, uh, you know, got me a freelancing job in a company called Stack City that was like based out of China that time. So I built, you know, smart contracts for them. Uh, that got me, uh, you know, increased my knowledge of Solidity uh, and, you know, uh, some JavaScript libraries like Web3.js was the one, you know, that was being used to uh, query, you know, blockchain nodes or connect to blockchain to transactions. So that's how, you know, my journey, you know, got started in blockchain space and, uh, I did one project and uh, got to know more people, you know, uh, you know, Web3 is all about community and, you know, getting to know more people. It's still a very small, you know, community, but uh, that was something new for me, you know, being a part of community, coming from a Web2 space uh, and, you know, getting more and more people. They tell you about more opportunities, you get, you know, get then connected to more and more people and more projects. So that helped me, you know, uh, getting more freelancing projects that time. And, uh, then, you know, uh, that network connections got me, you know, uh, you know, like meet my other co-founders as well. Uh, so, you know, we, we met, uh, and then, uh, we got an idea, like, let's do something together. Uh, I mean, they were not from a technical background. I was mainly, you know, uh, from the te technical side, they have been coming, you know, with, with a business background. Uh, for me, like it was a good combination, like they bring something on the table, which I don't, and, you know, I bring something which they don't. So, uh, you know, we, we started doing some things together and, uh, like before by economy, we were, uh, you know, running, uh, nodes on Tezos blockchain. So we, you know, uh, like I knew like how to run a node, like I just wrote a documentation, read how to run a node. We ran a node, like, uh, my, I am an Anikate had few Tezos tokens to stake so that's that's why i we decided tezos blockchain because you know we had tokens tezos tokens so you know we were running the node we were baking you know blocks so so in tezos you don't say mining blocks you say they were baking blocks and we had this plan that you know we will get more delegations and then we'll you know bake blocks get rewards but uh things didn't go that way no delegations came uh then, you know, three, four months, uh, we, we realized there was no ROI, you know, for running just a node and just taking few tokens. But uh, that, you know, uh, helped us in understanding uh, the problems in the space. So, like, we knew, like, blockchains are there. You, anyone can run a blockchain node, uh, provide more decentralization, like, provide security to the blockchain. But there were, like, many empty blocks there no, like why there are no like many so many transactions on these blockchains like and then we realized it was hard to use these applications to actually make the transactions in the first place so that got us you know uh think about the ux problem in space so i mean uh that like we we realized that this actually is a big problem you know to solve not, not many, you know, solutions are there uh, that anyone, you know, can use in the space. So few of the, you know, applications were actually solving this problem in-house. And uh, it, it took a lot of, you know, resources and, and time, you know, to build these uh, 
UX, uh, you know, based solutions. So that, you know, got us an idea. Why not like we do it? So other people don't have to do this. We let, let's build an infrastructure, you know, these failures. So, uh, that's how, you know, we got started. And at that time, like in, uh, like early 2019, uh, meta transaction was a thing like in the developer community. Uh, and, uh, I, I saw that you did a podcast with Austin Griffith as well. So he was, uh, you know, the guy who worked, who was experimenting around with new stuff and meta transaction was new, you know, at that time. So I had seen his videos about how like you can do a meta transaction, what meta transaction brings. And that's how, you know, I connected the dots, uh, you know, we got, we have got a problem. We have got a, you know, solution as well. Let's, you know, bring them together, uh, make it uh, as a solution uh, that's easy to use for other developers. So they don't have to build it, you know, on their own. That's how, you know, it all got started. And we are still like here building Pycolomy. I love it. Yeah, Austin was our second guest. So that's full circle. Yeah. But yeah, okay. So this, this so that, that's fascinating, right? You You had the full... You had the full kind of journey that a lot of us have, right? You went, it's, it's the, the almost, almost ad tech to crypto pipeline, which is kind of funny. Uh, now, I want to shift into some of the things you're working on and really thinking about at Biconomy around improving UX. And I think the way to do it here at first is probably going to be to go into account abstraction. So this whole uh, connection we made actually got started as a result of a lot, of a lot of research we did uh, for a previous episode with Julian Nisette of Argent, where we went really, really deep into smart contract wallets and account abstraction with him. But you put out a really, really good thread on uh, ERC-4337. And what is the other one? Th- 3074. Yeah, so you went through both yeah. of these things. The thread was excellent. We reached out and we're like, we should go deeper with you on this and a bunch of the things you're doing at Biconomy. But can you start off by just breaking down for us a bit like you did maybe in, in that thread the difference between these two approaches to account abstraction yeah yeah so so both are you know uh account abstraction uh solutions uh one is like 3074 is the solution uh that requires uh protocol level changes like you you know have to change the protocol in order for the solution to work Versus 4337, that's purely based on, uh, you know, smart contract-based solutions. Uh, there is no need to change the consensus, you know, of the protocol. Uh, or And there's no need to include any new opcodes. So that's the very, you know, primary difference between the two EIPs. Uh, while both, you know, try to solve uh, for the same, you know, you know things. Uh, you know, sponsored transactions, uh, so anyone is able to pay gas fees on your behalf and, you know, atomic, uh, multiple atomic you know, operations, you know, done in a single transactions. Uh, so if we like go, go further deep into it, uh, 3074 is introducing, uh, you know, two opcodes. One is auth and that is auth call. Uh, both opcode have to be like, uh, like first, like first auth you know, opcode, what it does is uh, when you, you know, do a transaction and an auth is being uh, called, uh, there is a concept of, uh, you know, authorized. There is a, you know, uh, in the context of the transaction, 
you set a parameter called authorized uh, using this auth opcode. So, you know, what it does is, uh, you know, when we send a transaction from an external owned account and how how does a smart contract identify that who sent the transaction? It's a message.sender, you know, a property on this in Solidity. Uh, using that, you identify that, okay, this account sent the transaction. Now in uh, authorized, whatever, like the, the, what this EIP does is whatever address you set in the auth, you know, authorized field in the context of the transaction, that will be used as a message of sender for, you know, further, you know, interaction in the transaction flow. So there is a, there's one smart contract that's called invoker, you know, contract that does, you know, uh, use these opcodes, auth and, you know, auth call. So once auth is called, it has to have a signature, you know, from the end user, like from an EOA. Uh, and then that sets the parameter that this is going to be, you know, the message dot sender in this, in the context of current transactions. Like it's not a global, you know, parameter that you set on a smart contract, but it just, you know, stays there in the context of the current transaction. And then uh, you do auth call. So what auth call does is it uses that, you know, authorized uh, variable to be used as message.sender and uh, it has a signature as well. Uh, so you verify the signature and you cross check whether it was signed by the authorized, you know, uh, address that was set in, in the context. And once the signature matches, uh, you know, there are, uh, you know, other stuff, uh, you know, you can do in that invoke contract, uh, like paying for the gas fees. Uh, so, you know, it can act as a gas tank uh, uh, also. And then you just uh, forward the call, you know, to any other smart contract you actually wish to call, uh, you know, in that transaction. And that transaction will see message.sender as the original, you know, user who actually who, who signed the initial, you know, message, not the, you know, invoker contract. That's usually the case, you know, in, in the current state of uh, EVM. So that's how, you know, uh, 3074 tries to solve for account abstraction. Uh, and this invoker contract, uh, if you, you know, make parallels, uh, this invoker contract is acting as a smart contract wallet for you. It is acting as a gas tank uh, as well. Uh, and uh, it's the, the the entry point, you know, for your interaction of your transaction. So whatever layers are running, they will interact with this invoker contract first, and then any interaction will start. Uh, you know, in the transaction. So it, you know, the concepts of uh, smart contract wallet, uh, paymasters, uh, it's still the same in this EIP, but they're not different. Like it's just one in Google contract that has all these uh, signature verification logic and, you know, gas payment, you know, to the relayer. Uh, that's how, you know, 3074 tries to solve. Uh, it has some, uh, you know, limitations in terms of uh, native value transfer. So, you, you know, since transaction is going via this invoker contract, but you have funds in your EOA account. So when it comes to, you know, sending the native currency, you know, in your EOA, uh, what this invoker contract is supposed to do that whenever you send a value, uh, and when it passes message dot setter as the, as your address, but there's another field called message dot value, right? Uh, if in a pure account abstraction, you want to do this, you have to, you know, overwrite both values, message.send and message.value. But it, it, it does not like overwrite message.value right now. Uh, as per the EIB, you know, it is expecting that 
you have funds in the invoke account right in case of native you know value transfer uh, so that kind of makes it difficult you know to uh, do a transaction where a native currency transfer is involved uh, so this particular you know scenario this eip does not solve right now uh, and there are like you know uh, reasons like why it, it cannot uh, transfer the native currency in between the transaction execution just like how it did you know change message dot sender it could just you know get the transfer the value from the account but this affects uh, the validator logic uh, you know uh, when you know validator is handling transaction in the mempool uh, it's also like before actually sending the transaction it's also checking uh, what balance you know you have whether you have enough balance to pay you know for the transaction so changing the account native balance in between the transaction execution kind of like affects you know those scenarios so that's why it's not like straightforward to just deduct you know it from the eoa and then pass it on to the next contract now uh this was 3074 now if you go to 4337 it introduces the concept of uh, smart contract wallet so instead of eoa uh your identity is a smart contract wallet even though you know it needs a controller account as an eoa but it does not have anything to do when you are talking about funds it just there to you know it's just there to authorize uh, you know transactions using signatures and then signature verification happens on smart contract wallets so uh, you know in 4337 there are other smart contract as well one is entry point just like how we have invoker as the first entry point of the transaction we have uh, like its name is, is itself is entry point so you have an entry point contract uh, any meta transaction that relayers uh, or bundlers wants to initiate they have to you know talk to entry point contract and send the transaction first to it and then there is a concept of paymasters uh, in 4337 so paymasters are like your gas tank where you load the gas and that gas will be used to sponsor you know this transaction so you know how and and you have a smart contract wallet so there are three entities on chain and all of them are interacted with while doing a gasless transaction or a sponsored transactions now how does that you know the smart contract works paymaster you know it's a gas tank so you put gas over there but actually the gas stays in entry point contract so when you deposit a gas via paymasters paymasters are connected to entry point contract so there is an accounting in the entry point contract that this is the paymaster address it has deposited let's say for ether of gas so entry point is doing all the gas accounting for the paymasters and uh, so when a transaction comes uh, you know this 4337 type transaction comes uh, so you know just how you define a raw transaction it has two from data you know nulls uh, gas price these parameters in 4337 it's called uh, a user operation like a user op so when you send a transaction to a three point contract it ex- you know it, it it expects you to send a user op or you know in uh, to be exactly an array of user op like you can you know bundle multiple user ops and send you know in a same transaction so there's a method you know in the three point contract called handle ops uh, you know relayers that slash bundlers call this method on the entry point and then uh, you know it uh, does certain you know validations of the transactions so 
first it uh, checks whether you know paymaster address is there or not you know who is going to pay for this fees so pay, there's a paymaster fee paymaster and data uh, it has the paymaster address in it and you know uh, some data appended to it which i'll come to later so it first check uh, whether okay this is going to be sponsored by paymaster now we also have this smart contract wallet uh, if it is your first interaction and your smart contract wallet is not deployed you know on chain it it checks that uh, so in user op, there is also an init code which you can send that will actually deploy the smart contract wallet first. That's the first step, you know, and entry point does. Uh, once you have smart contract wallet deployed, now it, as per the EIP, if you want to make your smart contract wallet compatible with the EIP, there is a function called validate user op. You just have to implement, you know, that interface. Uh, and uh, the entry point contract calls the validate user op. It sends the, the whole user op you know, object to the smart contract wallet and their signature verification happens. So, you know, when you initiate, when you initiated the transaction, there was in, there was an EOA. So when you click, let's say send or, you know, start initiate a transaction, the EOA has to sign, you know, that user off. Now that signature, you know, that signature verification happens in smart contract wallet in the validate user of method. So once entry point, communicates with the smart contract wallet and it it says okay signature is valid you know my controller has actually signed this message it looks fine uh, it sent the you know message back to entry point and then entry point do the same check with paymaster that this is a user op uh, you know someone would like to get it sponsored you know do you validate this user operation are you willing to pay you know for this user operation then verification happens on paymasters uh like Paymaster has again this validate user of you know method uh, where it it can have any arbitrary validation logic. Uh, some you know Paymasters do it on chain. Some Paymaster do it off chain. So you know those Paymaster that does it off chain, we are calling them very fine Paymasters. So like it's very simple. You know you have a account on you know Paymasters uh, and then you have verification logic actually off chain. So, you know, I remember, uh, you remember I told you Paymaster and data field is also in the user op. So Paymaster address and some, you know, Paymaster data. So this is the data which, you know, Paymaster, verifying Paymaster is actually verifying. And all the verifications they are doing like off-chain, like before initiating a transaction, maybe you communicate with a signing service and verification and signing service that this is my user op, are you willing to pay? Now, off-chain system checks all the conditions, whether, you know, it's a smart contract, what what interaction it is like any arbitrary validation can happen off chain and this service can actually sign a message which you append uh, you know in the paymaster and data which is being sent to the paymaster you know validation method and it's just checking whether you know my off chain you know signing service have signed this or not if the signature matches that means you that the paymaster can be ensured that this the verification was done off chain so that's how verifying paymaster works but the whole uh, idea is Paymasters have also to verify, uh, you know, whether they are willing to pay for this transaction or not. Once that happens, you know, you have got all the validations, then you just execute the transaction via the smart contract wallet. And once, uh, you know, transaction go via smart contract wallet, uh, it's up to the smart contract wallet how to handle, you know, that method. Now you can literally name it anything, execute or, you know, execute transactions, anything. And then it's, 
uh, rest is just plain interaction with other smart contract wallet where you know you call smart contract you call smart contract wallet b from a so for b a will be the message dot sent so since smart contract wallet is already your identity all your funds are there so it's easy you know to plug in literally any smart contract wallet you don't have to change sorry literally plug in any smart contract you don't have to change anything or to you know make it meta transaction compatible there's no such thing you know in this flow any contract like written four years ago like can still be used uh you know in this sponsor transactions and once you know you have executed the transaction it comes back to entry point uh it do all the gas calculation how much gas has been used so far uh what is the final you know gas uh, fees uh you know that it has to refund back to the relayer or bundler so after you know final execution since entry point already has the funds from the paymaster so it can do anything you know with that fund and it already know what paymaster was used in the user op and it has validated that it is willing to pay for it so what entry point does is it takes those funds from the paymaster deposits uh, it send it back you know to the relayer and the whole you know execution finishes uh, relayer has got the fund back uh, usually whatever relayer pays it should get a bit more you know uh, as a refund that's relayer's incentive to send these transactions on chain and you are trusting entry point contract that it will do you know all the verification with the paymaster with the smart contract and will uh, do the gas calculation correctly uh, and it will send back the you know gas back to the relayer so that's the kind of trust you are putting in entry point contract so that's how 4337 you know does uh, an account abstraction transaction uh yeah that's that this is the transaction flow difference you know between the two i love it i, hope I it, love it, it. not long no this is good yeah. this is good we got we got the full deep dive and you know what's good about this is that so okay while while you were talking i, I pulled up the uh, and I'll, I'll link this in in our show notes for those of you listening i pulled up the uh like you know the diagram that goes with 4337 where you have like all the users and they submit to this nice yeah. cloud that's the user operation mempool. They go into a bundler and then they're bundled into transactions and then they go into a block, right? Like that, that's what you see. It sounds like, and please yeah. correct me if I'm wrong and my misunderstanding is incorrect about this. It sounds like there are some other things required to actually implement this, right? There are smart contract wallets. And I, and I guess I'll ask a follow-up question on smart contract wallets in a second, but you have smart contract wallets and you have this, this paymaster that allows people to effectively use like the gasless transactions thing that people like alongside yeah. 4337, right? Which I think is really interesting. So are these like new developments on top of, like are these like implementation details on top of uh, like the original spec? Like how, how was the discussion evolved here? So, uh, you know, the this 4337, who the, the guys who came up, you know, with this EIP, uh, they're, they're the guys who came up with the gas station network, you know, GSN. And this paymaster concept was still, you know, there, you know, when they, you know, uh, tried to come up with a way of doing cashless transactions. So it's not a totally new concept, you know, that just, you know, got introduced in the CIP. Uh, it was like uh, way before that, uh, when GSN, you know, built this protocol for doing cashless transactions. And uh, since there was, uh, you know, not much adoption, you know, of, of GSN because of various reasons, 
you know, uh, it was maybe a bit hard to do or, or whatever, you know, the reasons was. Uh, but uh, this, this GSN actually evolves to this new EIP. And uh, Vitalik, uh, you know, himself contributed, you know, to this uh, EIP. So that's how, you know, uh, it came, uh, the concept of 4337. Uh, yeah, so it's not uh, like a new thing. Uh, has been worked, you know, before, but in some other form. Sure. So I, I think there are a lot of teams now. Now that 4337 has been kind of given a sort of stamp of legitimacy, and it also sidesteps this whole thing where, you know, people don't have to go to the the all devs call and champion for these new op codes. They don't have to get into that war zone. They can just implement this and try to convince other app developers to, to implement these solutions as well. So, I mean, there are lots of teams building some infrastructure around this. You guys are at the forefront of it. How do you how do you see this? I mean, I think you have a you have your own bundler implementation that you you spec'd out, right? Is that live or is that still a proof of concept stage? So uh, this, as per this EIP, so whatever I have explained was all the on-chain parts. Now uh, there is also an off-chain part, like uh, this bundler uh, is an off-chain entity that is actually sending these transactions. Uh, now one way is you just create a single you know, bundler, uh, get uh, your DAP, just communicate with the bundler, you would send the transaction to Bundler, it relays the transaction. That's like very simple way of doing things. Uh, but uh, you cannot just rely on single Bundler you know, implementation. Uh, that's why this EIP also mentions uh, how a Bundler should be created. It should be like a P2P network of Bundler, not just single Bundler you know, uh, communicating with the DAP. So there is a, a, you know, a concept of P2P communication between the bundlers. There is a concept of user of mempool. Now, this mempool is the pool of transaction, or I would say user of a pool of user operations that sits in these bundlers of chain. And uh, these bundlers then uh, try to you know make a bundle, uh, bundle of user of. So imagine like multiple applications. Uh, trying to send multiple user off, you know, to this network of bundlers. And then you end up with multiple user operation in the mempool. Now, you know, as the name suggests, you know, these bundlers should be bundling things. It, now they are bundling these user operations. So it's not that they are just sending one user operation, picking up and sending. So they are bundling them in the order of uh, like maximum profit. So whatever, you know, bundle gives relayers or bundlers maximum profit, they will try to pick those user operations from the mempool. So, and then, you know, they will make a bundle, send it to one chain. They will pay the base fee, you know, which is 21,000. Uh, but they will get all the premium, you know, from all these user ops. And uh, at the end of the transaction, at the end of bundle execution, you, bundler is supposed to get like more, or native currency back than what it you know paid for, and that's the profit you know for the bundlers. So there's a whole you know specification on how you should create a bundler, how these bundlers communicate you know with each other, uh, what is the format you know of that message that is being you know communicated. Uh, I mean these things are not yet spec'd out properly. Uh, there's a discussion you know ongoing. There's a Telegram channel 
called 4337 bundlers where you know this discussion is happening and uh, initially uh, you know uh, the the team which came out with 4337 they have published uh, you know the the guys from infinitism uh, and nithamind uh, so they are they actually built this initial bundler implementation and they also published a test suit you know which you can run against your bundler implementation and verifies that it is compatible, you know, with this EIP. And it is how, you know, it should work, you know, in a network of bundlers. So those part, uh, you know, the bundler side of things, specifications are still, you know, being finalized. Whatever bundlers you see uh, today running, they are just a single, you know, node or single, you know, server accepting transaction directly from the node, from the client um, or DAP. And that's just sending, you know, these user operation, uh, one user operation, you know, to the entry point contract. But this is how, you know, the whole bundler networks are going to evolve. Uh, and it's going to be a network uh, with user of mempool. And then each bundler will, uh, you know, compete with other bundlers that, you know, I have built the bundle which will give me maximum profit and I'm going to execute it first, like before you. So that's how, you know, as per the EIP, the whole thing's gonna, you know, uh, grow. Yes, okay. And there are other concerns. Like it's, <laughs> I, I can just, you know, go on, you know, about this. Uh, but when you compete, uh, so there is a concept of front running, you know, these transactions. Yes, so, yes. I was gonna bring this up, right? This, the first thing my brain went to when I was like reading about 4337 and I was like, all right, we have like a, basically a parallel mempool here. MEV, user app MEV is next, right? Is, is that where you're going right. with this? Exactly. So see, uh, this, these bundlers, they are there for the profit, right? They want to play, make some revenue out of it. Uh, one piece of revenue is the premium which you get from by executing the user op. Uh, so, you know, in this user op, there's a, just like in 1559 gas, you know, structure, you have this priority fee, like a max priority fee and the max fee. Uh, similarly, you know, user op also has these fields, uh, like max fee and max priority fee per gas, uh, which uh, tells the entry point contract that this is the maximum fee this uh, transaction uh, will pay back to the bundler. And if it goes, if the actual execution goes beyond, you know, the user op, uh, the transaction would fail, you know, on chain. So entry point will ensure that whatever is there in the user op, like at least that is given to the, you know, real. And max priority fee, uh, like since all bundlers are prioritizing the user ops in the mempool based on this field. So as a user, uh, or a DAO, if you want your transaction to be included first, again, it's a, you know, it's a word of, you know, sending a higher max priority fee in your user just to get it included first. So this is like one uh, source of revenue for the bundlers. And then, as you mentioned, you know, the, these bundlers could, you know, uh, find out MEB opportunities, uh, you know, associated with that transaction. And they could, they could just bundle their own, you know, transaction uh, along with those user ops and just grab that MEV. So 
this is a race for, you know, um, sending the transactions, sending the bundles and getting more profit, you know, out of it. Now, the, the, the part where, you know, front running, uh, you know, is coming here. Now imagine uh, Bundler has built uh, a bundle and put some MEV transactions into it and then send it to on-chain. So when you send uh, the transaction, you call handle ops method of the encrypt. It has two parameters. One is beneficiary, uh, like uh, the, the whole refund, like which address should get that refund. That beneficiary address, so it, it, it does not go to transaction.sender or transaction.origin. It goes to that beneficiary, you know, address, whatever bundler, you know, make sure it is in the transaction. And then second parameter is array of uh, user operations. So just a very simple method, you know, handle ops. Beneficiary is there, array of, you know, user ops are there. Now, if I, as a front runner, see this transaction, you know, like in public mempool, you know, of the actual validator nodes, I can just pick the array of user ops build another transaction, put my beneficiary into it and front run it. So I will get all the premium, you know, from by running those user ops and the your transaction would fail uh, because it will change, you know, some states uh, and nonsense, you know, in smart contract wallet and it will fail in the verification part. That's the biggest, you know, uh, uh, concern, uh, you know, with this EIP. Uh, and it's not just the front running. Now imagine, uh, you know, I am a, I am the user. I have this smart contract wallet, uh, or you know, I am the paymaster. Like I have put some you know funds in the cash tank. Now I have sent the transaction via this bundler network. These bundlers have sent my transaction on chain. It's lying in the public mempool again. Now I, as a paymaster, goes on chain and do a transaction that you know uh, remove all the gas. From my PMS. Now, when it executes, it will fail, and the bundler ends up, you know, paying for those failed, you know, transactions. And similar thing, a user can also do. You know, user can just change the state, you know, in a smart contract wallet, and uh, you know, uh, it will end up in failed transaction. So, how can you avoid, you know, all these uh, state changes that are happening before the bundle is being executed? So. You know, like one way to avoid this is to use private uh, RPC uh, endpoints, which block builders, you know, uh, uh, will provide. Like right now, uh, only Flashbot has this uh, private transactions uh, where you can submit your transactions, which does not end up in public mempool, you know, on the blockchain. So uh, if you have this communication with the block builder, and you send this bundle to that to that that block builder, and you tell them, you know, this is a private transaction. Do not put this in the public mempool, so others cannot see it. And when you include it in your next block, uh, just keep it as the first, you know, transaction in the block. So, so you are ensured that no state, you know, will change when your bundle is executing, uh, and. Uh, Versus like when you estimate it, you know, um, that bundle will actually succeed. So there is no state transition in between. And uh, that's how you can actually avoid these front running, you know, problems and uh, other problems where you are actually griefing the bundlers and uh, forcing them to send failed transactions, basically. Right? 
So that's the solution. Uh, but I mean, right now there is no such private RPC solution uh, from these block builders uh, that you know these bundler network can use. So right now you have to come up maybe with another solution that will you know prevent uh, these front running attacks or griefing attacks, uh, which is kind of hard to figure out. You know, a solution without these private RPC uh, endpoints. This is something like we are also uh, figuring, trying to figure out. Uh, I mean, th there is one solution uh, that prevents front running, but it does not prevent griefing attacks where Paymaster can actually, you know, change the state before your bundle gets executed. Now, in this case, uh, you cannot prevent this, but what bundlers can do is identify. Uh, you know, why your transactions are getting failed. Is it because Paymaster state was changed, uh, you know, in between when you simulated the transaction versus and, and when the actual, you know, uh, execution happened on chain. Now, if you see these Paymaster do, doing these uh, fishy, you know, stuff, or they are intentionally trying to grief you, the best you can do is like block them. So any further user operation that comes with that paymaster, the bundler will not like accept you know those because it is not uh, acting properly in the network. So th this is how you know you can actually avoid long-term griefing. Uh, yeah, these these are like current solutions to these problems. Interesting. So yeah, I think what's yeah. what's underappreciated about this is that there is. There's complications here. Like this is going to improve UX, but it's not going to come without problems. Many of the problems might just be hidden these in these hidden battles between, you know, bundlers and people front running each other. So yeah, there's 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 yeah. no free lunch here. And I guess one question I had to follow up is like how how long is this anticipated? Like I think that the issue here is that there's a delay, right? So like I submit my user operation. All right, those are bundled yeah. and they're submitted to. Like whatever whatever chain I'm I'm going to be you know executing this on, between that mm. bundler coming up with their, I guess bundled kind of block but bundled set of transactions and submitting it to to the actual mainnet, there's a there's a delay. I mean, how long is is are there like expected guidelines and how long the the delay should be in some of these bundler specs or, you know, what what's the thinking there? Yeah, I mean there is no. Uh limitation or guidelines you know in the specification on how long you know it should be there uh but it's in the benefit of bundlers to send these user off as soon as possible because they are getting profited you know by sending them so uh, there's no as such you know specification uh you know or guidelines uh, but yes there is going to be you know slightly slight delay uh when you send the transaction to bundler network and then they pick it up here and send to the transaction. But uh, it won't be like that much comparable, you know, to uh, the block confirmation type, you know, on the chain itself. So even though it might be like one second or a few seconds, uh, but it should not like affect the user experience that much, which they are already like used to, you know, you send a transaction, you wait for the confirmation. And then uh, in order for like safe transaction, you wait for more conf confirmations. Just so you just to ensure that it is not like there's no fork, you know, happening on the blockchain or you know, no reverting happens. So as compared to that, like it's not a, it's not going to like add 
comparable, you know, delay. Gotcha. Makes sense. Makes sense. Interesting. So this, this is going to be really interesting as this evolves. Um, another thing you guys put out, this might be separate, right? This might this might get take us into slightly separate territory, but it's also around a similar concept. But you put out a blog post. I, th- I want to say this was earlier this year around fixed price, or not this year, but late 2022, about around fixed yeah. gas price transactions. Am I right that this was that recent? Uh, yeah, yeah. So we were trying to experiment around, you know, how can we do things uh, differently that ends up in better user experience. And, uh, you know, there have been, you know, uh, these conversations around uh, if we, if I can estimate uh, that on, like, I have $10. Uh, I want to, you know, get, uh, like, surety that I can submit five transactions using $10 without uh, relying on, like, price fluctuations or anything. Uh, like, it would be a pretty good user experience, right? You can set aside, uh, you know, your, uh, some funds and you are insured that you can actually do five transactions anytime, you know, <laughs> uh on public you know on any network but it's not that simple you know to do uh it, it all you know comes down to you know selling block space uh at certain fixed price so there has to be a one-to-one like communication with these block builders and there has to be a deal cut out you know with them because they are the ones in control of building the blocks and including your transactions so uh, maybe you incentivize them in other ways, uh, which is not coming directly from the user. So you are like in a way uh, buying the block space and then giving it back to the user, and you somehow you know try to hedge the the gas that are being paid. So you take let's say ten dollar from user, uh, but your sometimes you pay less you know to these block builders because you have cut out a deal with them. And in the long run, you end up, you know, on the positive side. So you don't end up like losing, you know, money over time. Uh, it may happen like, uh, like when the the the, the gas price uh, fluctuates, like there's a spike, you know, in gas price. Now it, it will depend like on the deal uh, which you had done with the block builders. But this was, uh, you know, not uh, worked on. Uh, that extensively because of priorities and you know we had other things to do but this was an idea uh, that you know originated and uh, it's not that you know it the idea has gone into limbo and we are not like thinking about it Uh, but once you know even this builders network are uh, supposed to communicate directly with block builder via private RPC so you know once these connections starts happening with the block builders uh, and we, you know, see uh, this ecosystem where block builders are not just uh, building blocks uh, as per, you know, the, the the validator, you know, code, but they can uh, run, you know, more, you know, code apart from the protocol itself. Just like, you know, how it happened with Flashbot, right? Uh, you manage to get more validator nodes to run your extra piece of code in the validator node. Uh, so... As you know, these kind of you know ecosystem will grow, and we'll have more uh, accessibility to block builders. Uh, then you know, I think these kind of things are possible where you are selling block space uh, and cutting out a deal with you know these block builders. But yeah, 
too early, you know, to to implement that right now. Makes sense. You know, the the I'll put a link to the the post on this that you guys put out. I think it was fascinating because it, like you said, it'd be great to be able to to treat block space like you treat any other commodity, right? Like big companies that need to buy a lot of oil, like airlines, they, they hedge. Uh, against future, you know, fluctuations in oil prices, right? So it, it in reality, it, it feels like it should work the same way when it comes to gas prices. But like you said, there's a lot more complications here, and hopefully, we can all crack uh, the code on this one. But okay, maybe maybe we should move on then to uh, some more specific things regarding like what you guys are working on because we're running up on the on the hour here rel- relatively quickly. So let's say that I'm just like an application developer, right? I'm interested in what you guys are doing. I've seen some noise around the Biconomy SDK and things like that. And I, I want to begin like, like supporting these kinds of new UX experiences in my DAP, right? I'm an application developer. How would I go about implementing these gasless transactions and smart accounts with Biconomy? Like, like what, are, what are the kinds of mental models I need to understand in order to take advantage of some of this stuff? Yeah. So, uh, first of all, like you have to understand uh, the the identity, you know, of the user, how you are showing the identity to the user on your application. Uh, right now, most of the app, you know, uh, like relay this identity management to wallets. So, you know, they just take the currently selected address and just show it on the app. Uh, but most of the stuff like balances, uh, transaction history, uh, that is shown in the wallet and uh, any user can access it. Now you have to change, you know, that mindset when you are building or account abstraction concept, because here EOA is not your identity. Uh, your identity is smart contract wallet and not, not, not many, uh, like existing wallets have adopted, uh, you know, this account abstraction concept where they are showing the smart contract wallet as like the the, the, the front, you know, identity to the user. Uh, but this change of mindset has to be there, like in the developers who are, who wants to like build an account abstraction. Now, this EOA, you know, which we are talking about, which we are trying to abstract away from the user, uh, why show that EOA? It on you know to the user in the first place why tell the user that you have two accounts one is eoa one is smart contract wallet this is your controller and this is where your funds will be and that's uh, where you know the social login uh, concept comes now since the first step always has to be onboarding so you always have to onboard the user first on your dap and then user interacts you know with your application so when you onboard a user uh you do not want them to download a wallet or, you know, uh, set up a separate wallet. So what, you know, we are trying to do, you know, in Biconomy SDK. So Biconomy SDK has solutions for onboarding. It has solution for engagement using these, you know, sponsored transaction, guestless transactions. And it has uh, also solution for fiat on web. So for onboarding, we are like currently using Web3Auth. Uh, where you can just uh, sign in with your email account. Uh, and then it's similar to Web2 signing, where you j- just put, you know, email password, you sign into it. Once sign-in is done, what Web3Auth does is it creates an EOA. Uh, 
associated with your social you know identity and then we don't need to show that ua to the user for user you logged in by your gmail account and then associated with that eoa there is a smart contract wallet now the good thing about this this uh, smart contract wallet is it is counterfactual in nature by that i mean even though your contract is not deployed on chain you can still know like what will be your address once it is deployed so just by logging in using a social account you can actually know this is this is going to be my smart contract wallet even though i am a completely new user uh and then you know uh, you show them some fiat on ramp solution just to get some funds in your wallet uh you tell them okay this is your address uh maybe you can deposit your funds from an exchange if you are a user who have some funds in exchanges which is also like user friendly interface you know in the centralized exchanges i'm not talking about dex and then uh there are like crypto native users uh, who understand you know this that this is the address uh, i can just transfer any funds from any of my other you know accounts to this smart contract account so this is the onboarding part like you know to a normal user you just sign in with a social account and there is your account now next part is interaction uh so if you 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 might be asking like you know if there is a smart contract wallet it has to be deployed first uh, before you know it can process any transaction on chain right so what this what biconomy sdk does is uh whenever you are initiating any transaction uh it first check like any transaction you know it checks whether the smart contract wallet has been deployed or not if it is not deployed it patches a smart contract wallet deployment transaction so you know as i earlier explained in account abstraction user operation there is a init code field and you can actually put the wallet deployment code you know in that so you know in the same transaction your wallet can be deployed and then you can actually interact you know, with your wallet and then uh, you know sdk has all the helper methods to to help you build you know that user op so you don't have to you know go and fill each field in the user op uh, you just have to tell that this is my smart contract i want to interact with this is the address this is the api this is the method i want to call these are the method parameters like like normal way of interacting with smart contracts right and then sdk internally will actually build that payload uh and and now you know uh, as a dapp developer you also have to set up paymasters if you are sponsoring you know transaction for your users now in order to make it easy for the developers uh we have built this dashboard uh you know paymaster dashboard we are calling it it's not live yet it will be live by the end of this month uh so on the dashboard you can just go configure your you know create a app uh and then set up a paymaster uh deposit the gas so as per the eip every app should be having their own paymasters so they should be deploying their own paymaster but what we have done is we have modified this concept and created a single non paymaster so not every app has to deploy their own paymaster so there is a paymaster uh we have deployed it and then there is a concept called paymaster id 
okay so this paymaster manages the accounting for different different paymaster id and uh, you just deposit in this contract and this will deposit into entry point for entry point it's just single paymaster but this paymaster has like multiple sub accounts you can say or paymaster id so just to make it easy for the developers they don't have to go you know uh, through all this step of deploying paymaster and all those things so on the dashboard you can set up your funding id uh and then you can deposit gas from the dashboard so it's very simple you know as a developer go to a dashboard sign in create a dapp set up your funding id deposit gas and there there you go now you know earlier i mentioned verify paymasters where you have to uh verify whether you want to sponsor it or not. now as a dapp developer of course i would want to sponsor transactions that are interacting with my smart contract my dapp smart contract so i you can actually configure these smart contracts on the dashboard and uh, also you know mention okay this is the method i want to configure and uh, then the off chain signing and verification service which i was talking about we are also running that for developers so they don't have to run it even though on the sdk there is a complete you know option of mentioning your own paymaster mentioning your own off chain verification and signing service if you want to run you can run yourself and just configure the sdk to communicate with that service instead of ourselves but again it's uh, just to make it easy for the developers to onboard so sdk uh, communicates with this uh, you know uh, so so when you you know configure the sdk you give this dapp id which you got from the dashboard using that dapp id uh you know off chain signing service would know what conditions to validate you know against this user op and then it will uh, do it will sign a you know it will produce a signature that will be verified on paymaster which we have deployed already so you know we have the key which will sign and you know the signature will be validated against the key on the paymaster so all this is happening so sdk is interacting with this off chain signing service sdk is interacting with the uh, uh sdk backend node which we have created just to uh like make certain things uh just to offload certain calculations from the client side so just uh you know backend server doing gas estimations uh and you know providing apis for getting token balances in your smart contract wallet so these kind of things so you can actually configure this sdk uh you know whether to communicate with your own deployed sdk backend your own deployed signing service uh, you can do it yourself as well but we are doing it for the developers so that's how you know this byconomy sdk works uh, you know you, you can actually go to byconomy.io there's a documentation section like there are like multiple examples of how you should do it in react js uh, in node js uh, in uh, react native uh, so on all you know different stack examples are there so it's pretty like easy to follow over there so but yeah that's how you know uh, you can actually use the sdk and you have to keep in mind the onboarding you know notion uh, it has to change from the eoa to a smart contract wallet and then uh, uh, that's it like uh, you click a transaction you click a button to initiate a transaction now since you are using web3 auth for generating your eoa you don't see a pop up for signing the transaction you just click sign is taken from your eoa account and 
uh, you know, sent uh, this SDK is behind the scene communicating with these services. It generates a user op, get it signed from your EOA behind the scene and send it to the bundlers. And then uh, as a user, you just click the button and that's it. And your transaction actually went through, uh, you know, on chain, you get back the response from bundler. SDK handles that response. It tracks the transaction hash on chain. And that it tells you that your transaction is confirmed now. And then as a DAP developer, you can re- refresh the state, you know, of your DAP. Nice. Yeah, so we'll uh, we'll link to that. And I think it's going to be cool to see application developers start using this stuff. Uh, I think the biggest two things are really just understanding that you know you have to integrate smart contract wallets. That's kind of the first big thing. And then if you want to enable yeah. gasless transactions and things, you can make use of this paymaster contract that you guys deployed. I like the fact that you you made the singleton right and are just basically using that that single contract to you know do the accounting. I think that's probably cleaner just to just interact with that. But I like it. I like it. So. Two more questions uh, that are maybe a little more just kind of like general in nature about you and like how you see this stuff evolving. Um, we like to ask everyone who comes on, especially people that have done technical work for a long time, like yourself. You know, how do you? How have you throughout your career? You know, approached leveling up and upskilling as a developer. Uh, is there anything? Has there been anything that that's worked well for you? So, uh, you, you know, when I started off as a software engineer. Uh, and even before, like when I was in college, I always try to go deep into the into whatever I'm writing and try to understand what exactly is going on. I don't like to just copy paste the code from Stack Overflow and just put it and it works. So, and but I don't know, you know how it works. <laughs> so that's not how you know I do things, and it kind of helps me. Uh, if I try to understand the code which I'm writing, it helps me getting more control over it. If there is a change of requirement, like in the future, I can you know do the code changes because I understand my code, right? And and but uh, when I say I understand my code, I have to understand each and every line, you know, of code, not just overall method that this method is doing this and it is returning me that. And I'm good. So you have to understand like what's inside, you know, that method method as well. So like I believe when you are, you know, doing uh, when you're writing, you know, these programs, you have to clear your basics first. So you, you know, I see these, you know, developers trying to directly build Solidity, you know, smart contracts, uh, just copy this, you know, ERC twenty, you know, contract, uh, just deploy it, and then you are a smart contract developer. That's not how you become a smart contract developer. You have to first understand the basics of programming. You have to, uh, you know, uh, clear the basics of data structure and algorithms. Uh, you should know, like, what are the different sorting algorithms, what are different searching algorithms, which are very basic things, you know, you find in programming. Uh, once you have these, uh, you know, basic knowledge of, uh, you know, these primary and basic concepts in programming then you go ahead learn you know you know multiple languages uh, and then you try to implement the programs then you will feel like more confident as a programmer as well so any challenge that comes your way once your basics are clear 
you can easily you know connect the dots and come up with a new algorithm that actually solved that challenge and uh, you, you know this uh, you know i'm uh, i i uh, got this uh, inspiration by watching uh, you know these star doc videos by neil degrasse tyson uh, you know he he does this star talk and uh, I, i really love this guy you know he knows you know all the basics of physics uh he understand like what's happening at like atomic level molecular level and he will explain you know all these things to you in a very simple language like why why the night is dark like it's not because it's night time i mean there is a separate reason for it and then he will explain you uh, you know on a very higher level and can go down deep into the molecular level because his basics are clear once your basics are clear you can actually explain any complex stuff in a very simple language to other you know other developers so this taking an, an, an analogy over here uh, so the main thing is like get your basics done first instead of uh, running into complex you know programs and then it will be it will be easy for you to connect the dots between different different you know uh, you know ways of doing things and then you will be like you know i i think you will be a better programmer you know that way if you start your journey you know that i love it i think that's really really good advice and i can second that it is very tempting especially when you have deadlines to just like make the thing yeah. work and figure it out later or not at all but it, it's far better for you and your career to just deeply understand the explanations behind what is what is happening right so i think that's that's yeah. fantastic advice um okay so the final question uh this is again even more general but we love to get everybody's take let's say we fast forward 10 years into the future and we look at like what the space looks like and what everybody's built how do you hope Never. the industry evolves over the next decade uh okay like uh so so right now you know we are all about uh building that abstraction layer uh on top of this blockchain technology so if you ask me like in 10 years how it will look like i am expecting it to uh look like in a way where you you are using the blockchain technology in your day to day lives uh be it messaging like sending messages to your friends behind the scene you know blockchain technology is used you don't even know it uh, you are doing payments to you are paying your phone bills you are paying your electricity bills uh under the hood again maybe you know crypto is being adopted by you know governments by that time and uh, this uh, you know crypto payments are uh, you know uh, becomes official you know mode of payment uh and then everyone you know is ad- adopting this uh, you know blockchain technology and it is in your day to day life but since there is an abstraction layer uh, on top of it it becomes easy for application developers to build these payment solution messaging you know applications or social networks uh without you knowing that blockchain is behind the scene so this is how you know i imagine you know the world uh like in maybe in 10 years and uh, every every mobile device is somehow you know a part of decentralized network and uh, you know the way we are progressing in technology in processing uh, you know speed and uh, the way we are progressing towards uh, segregating like uh, you know 
different different components uh, into each separate module that can run on a light client. You you know we 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 heard we heard the concept of light lines like they are light in nature to run, and then like gradually I think these blockchains will be divided into separate components where each component can be run even on a mobile device, and you are in some way you know a part of a bigger you know decentralized network maybe doing validation of transactions i don't know uh but in some in some way you are you know part of a bigger network every mobile device is uh running you know this whole decentralized network and that's uh how i imagine the world is gonna look like pro decentralization and pro abstracting away yeah. the, the hard things which makes a lot of sense given what you guys are working on uh well, listen, hey, I really appreciate you coming on. This is this was a really interesting conversation for me. I, I actually learned a lot. And I think we got a really comprehensive view of both the EIPs and the ERCs that have been like uh, proposed, how they work at a deep level, how people are looking to implement them, and how you guys specifically are implementing them at Biconomy. So we really appreciate you coming on. And you know, before we hop off, is there anything else you want to... Uh, tell our audience as a final message? Uh, just try out, you know, our Biconomy SDK if you are, you know, building on account abstraction. Uh, and, you know, on Biconomy.io, just go to there, go to the documentation page. There are like a lot of examples over there. And uh, we have a forum as well, uh, like forum.biconomy.io. If you have any open questions, you can just post it there. Uh, we'll like, we'd be happy to, you know, engage, you know, over there. Uh, and that, yeah, that's the final message. Like I would do, like uh, give to the developers and try to build uh, the application that makes sense, not just here NFT <laughs> applications. Sorry for that. <laughs> yes. So yeah, just want to see like more diversifications in the applications that are being built. I love it. I love it. Well, hey, thank you again. This has been a lot of fun and uh, we hope you have a good rest of your evening. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks, Sam, for having me on the show.